Radio Gag, the Gays Against Guns show. Prepare to gag, yeah. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Radio Gag, the weekly Gays Against Guns show. Radio Gag is your weekly update on how to end the, hor- the horror that is the American gun violence epidemic. I'm Kathy Marino Thomas. And I'm Virginia Vitsdoom. Sunday was Mother's Day, and we are thinking of all the mothers who've lost children and all the children who've lost mothers to guns. As of yesterday, there have been two, 26 school shootings in 2019. Oh, my gosh. Right. And that's just a tiny percentage, school shootings, of gun deaths in this country. But their frequency works like terrorism. Kids and their parents think about the possibility of being gunned down in school, even if the odds are they won't. You can't ignore it if you have to go through lockdown drills or if teachers start carrying guns, both of which we'll talk about later in the show. Here's Kathy with news of yet another school shooting. 26, huh? That's amazing. Unbelievable. One week ago at the STEM school in Highlands Ranch, Colorado, two teens opened fire on their classmates. 18-year-old Kendrick Ray Castillo was killed and eight others wounded. Castillo died rushing one of the shooters with two other students, knocking him down, after which the boy, uh, another boy took the gun away. Apparently, the shooters suffered bullying in school over their sexuality and other issues. Bullying and guns is a deadly combination. Yeah, there was so much that was uh, strange about this story. We talked about it a lot at our at our last gag meeting. Um, you well, know. it seems like Colorado is uh, the gun capital of the U.S. in some ways, um, and uh, you know, if lax gun laws around bullying is just dangerous, it's dangerous for many on both sides of that issue. So, if you're the bully, the bullied, uh, you might think that doing something like these two kids did would be a good uh, thing to do. It's just, it's awful. It's really awful. And speaking of guns and schools, <laughs> it gets more horrific, Virginia. <laughs> Last week, Governor DeSantis of Florida signed a bill to arm teachers in that state. That is unbelievable. After the shooting at Marjorie Stoneham Douglas High School last year, a lot of great gun violence prevention measures, measures were put in place in Florida. It looked like things would improve on that issue in that state. But unfortunately, a bill, a bill developed to arm teachers. Somebody thought that was a good idea. When the bill came up for a vote initially last year, the Parkland students and others protested hotly and did prevent the vote. Of course, the NRA has been trying to arm teachers for a long time. Imagine the profits. Yeah, there's your somebody. Yeah, yeah absolutely. But the bill reared its ugly head this year, and this time it passed. The 22-17 Senate vote fell almost entirely along party lines with one single Republican, Senator Flores of Miami, joining all of the the chamber's Democrats in voting against the bill. Last year, perhaps the most significant opposition to arming teachers came from the former governor, Rick Scott, a Republican, who is now in the United States Senate. The new governor, DeSantis, also a Republican, said in January that he generally favored arming teachers, uh, arming some school personnel, as long as they volunteered and received training. The Guardian program in Florida requires that local sheriffs are the people that screen and train participants. Among the chief concerns for lawmakers in Florida uh, from the cities is that minority students would feel... uh, uh, 
violence, you know, like they would feel unsafe in schools when uh, with armed teachers. In contrast, law, uh, lawmakers from rural areas said aiming, uh, arming staff added a layer of security to schools located far from, in, from uh, law enforcement. The Parkland uh, suspect killed 17 people in less than six minutes. I'll give you an example of what arming teachers and, and uh, uh, administrators in school would do. The only armed person at Parkland, a sheriff's deputy, stood outside the building while the massacre was taking place. He didn't go in. Yeah, and we know, um, we know that um, uh, fewer guns in fewer hands means fewer deaths, period. Of course. I mean, more guns in a school is terrifying. And of course, of course, the kids of color are the most scared. Of course. So um, that makes it even scarier. And we were wondering, um, we wanted to talk to some younger people about what it's like to grow up in this era of school shootings. Gagger Loretta Chan asked her six-year-old daughter about last year's lockdown drill and recorded her reply. When Loretta first told me this story, I did cry at the, at the thought of a, of a five-year-old having to process this. Like a five-year-old, you know, should not be having to think about somebody coming into school with a gun. Absolutely. And, and as you'll see from what Cleo says, she, she doesn't exactly. It's, it's like interesting sort of development stuff. Right after Cleo, we'll hear Sonny Moon's son, Christian, who's 12, and he tells the story of, um, of a threat at his school in a, you know, from, from a, a fifth grader's perspective. So here's um And here's assuming that. that that fifth grader has grown up with lockdown drills and all of that stuff. Well, they both have, yeah. yeah. And, then, and then, yeah, I mean, everybody under, since Columbine, not Columbine, but, you know, in the last few years has. So anyway... Let's listen to um, Cleo and Christian talking about guns in school. Can you tell me what the different drills are? Um, the fire drill is just to tell us to leave the building. Mm -hmm. um, the lockdown is when we have to hide somewhere and be super quiet. And in a shelter end, you just have to stay in because, like, there's a fight outside in the courtyard. Do you remember when you had to do lockdown drill and you had to pretend you were the three little pigs? Mm-hmm. Tell me, what do you have to do? Well, we hide in the cubbies and then we have to be super quiet and the, well, the principal knocks on the door. But it's kind of creepy because they do not tell you if the principal's knocking on the door. You just got to be scared. So when you're doing it, do you feel like it's funny or scary or like nothing or Kind of scared. Mm -hmm. Scary. Mm -hmm. And it's like... If we need to go to the bathroom, we could never go to the bathroom because the classroom door is going to be locked. Mm -hmm. Even the bathroom door is locked. Mm -hmm. So if you're in the bathroom, you have to stay there. That's why it's kind of scary. Because the teacher just lets you go because she, she has no idea when the lockdown is. Mm -hmm. And it's even more scary if you're in the bathroom, because they even knock on the bathroom door. Mm. And it's like you're with nobody. 
not even one single person. It was a normal school day, and I was going to my school's after-school program, which was in the gymnasium. I played basketball like normal with my friends, until on the speakers in the gym, an announcement was made, and it stated that it, it was a hard lockdown, and this was not a drill. The counselors had been trained for this protocol, so we were forced to sit against the walls and wait for further instructions. We weren't really sure what was going on, so we weren't really taking it that seriously, but there was concern and we were getting kind of scared after about 10 minutes or so went by and we did not receive any more news. About 15 minutes after we first started sitting down, a teacher rushed into the gymnasium. She told us to hurry and we were going to the auditorium and she was dead serious, so that really frightened us. We left the gymnasium and ran down the stairs and entered the auditorium being as quiet as possible. The lights were off and we were told to sit down and wait and stay silent. Many kids were confused, others were scared and texting their parents and trying to figure out what was going on. A lot of the older kids were crying while the younger kids didn't really understand what was happening. It was a very scary experience though. Many people were telling and texting their parents, uh, we're having a lockdown, oh my God, I love you, things along those lines. And we sat in there for a long time, maybe 30 minutes, until our principal came on the speaker and said, that the lockdown was lifted and we could go back to our normal activities. When the lock, when you were in the lockdown and you didn't know what was going on, what were you thinking, Christian? I didn't really know what to think. I was kind of just sitting there hoping it wasn't anything that bad, hoping, hoping we weren't in danger, just trying to hope that it was not the worst. My mom and me did an interview with the Swedish news channel a few years ago, and it was about the gun violence problem in America that's not really prevalent in Sweden. And when I started talking about the lockdown, they were very intrigued since it's not really something normal that they have to have in Sweden. And that kind of made me realize that this was unusual and I shouldn't really need to do this. In other countries, they have lockdowns because of earthquakes and things like that. <laughs> and in America, we have lockdowns because we don't have sensible gun laws. Okay, that almost sounded like I trained you quite well. Oh my God. Yeah. They don't even know that they shouldn't have to be doing that. It's so common in America that they just think it's part of their normal life. He I, had to go to Sweden to see it was weird. Yeah. I, really, I really just can't take it. You know, my daughter's high school was locked down for about two hours a couple of years ago. She was in a classroom closet for the duration texting me. It had to be the scariest time of my life as a mother. I was glued to the text I was receiving, heart in mouth. It turned out to be a false threat by a student on social media about bringing a gun to school. Scared me within an inch of my life. I mean, and I don't think, just for the record, I don't think arming teachers is going to solve that problem. We've already seen a couple of stories of guns accidentally going off in classrooms. It's, it's, that's just a ridiculous idea. 
You know, there are many mothers who have lost children to gun violence that have turned their loss and pain into activism. Um, I'd like to read a, uh, about a couple of examples. There are many more than what I'm going to mention here, but uh, these particular organizations have really touched me. One, the first one is Harlem Mothers Save, and I have actually met the founder, Jackie Rowe Adams, who lost two sons to gun violence. They, um, they educate parents on gun safety, advocate for families suffering the tragedy of gun violence, and educate the community on gun violence protection legislation. Um, another is Moms Rising. Uh, they take the most critical issues facing women, mothers, and families by educating the public and mobilizing these massive grassroots actions. The group empowers women to talk about how gun violence affects their lives and to advocate for change. We should mark them down for an interview for this mm -hmm. show. Probably the most famous of all of them is Moms Demand Action. It's a national grassroots movement of Americans fighting for public safety measures that can protect people from gun violence. Moms Demand Action campaigns for new and stronger solutions to lax gun laws and loopholes that jeopardize the safety of our families. Uh, Sunny, who you heard earlier talking to her son Christian, is a mother of both, a member of both Gays Against Guns and Moms Demand Action. Um, and she, there's things she likes about, about each one. But there's just, just, there's a lot of ways um, to join this fight. I and just think everyone should join it. <laughs> yes, yeah, and that's, and that's the thing. And, you know, it's funny, we're, we're gays against guns, um, but it's nice how, uh, you know, not that gay people can't have kids, but a, a, a nice group of mothers sort of came together to make yeah. this show um, happen really quickly. Um, one of them is Gag's Sarah Lilly who interviewed her friend, Annette, um, also a mom, about the talk, which parents of color are all too familiar with. You mean like if you have a, a, a person of color and you have to tell them that they have to put their hands on the steering wheel because just because they're a person of color, that conversation? Uh, How fun. Run the tape, Reggie, <laughs> and we'll hear. Last fall, I spoke with my friend, Annette Freeman, for our Stand Your Ground Laws gun violence prevention show. For Mother's Day, I share her version of a black mom's talk to her son about what to do if he's stopped by a police officer. I asked Annette, did you talk to your son after Trayvon Martin was killed by George Zimmerman? This is what she said. I did. If a police officer approaches you, you, you put your hands out like you show him that you have nothing in your hands. You agree with everything he says. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. You do not in any way push back, raise your voice at all. And I had to drill this in him as well as his father had to drill this in him. Even today, now he's a grown man driving and pulled over by a police officer. You do not do anything nothing you just sit there and you stare put your hands on the dashboard uh, do not reach for anything quickly it you know it is something that it's just ingrained in him now and he's had situations in which he's had to put that into use mm. yeah thank you for that sarah and annette for context there, a UCL, 
UCLA study found that African Americans are killed by police at a rate of 7.2 per million people. For whites, that rate is 2.9 per million. And Native Americans are killed by police the most of anyone, 7.8 per 1 million people. And it's not just police shootings. People of color are killed more, period, in this country with the fewest consequences uh, for their killers. Our In Memoriam tonight honors a young man who likely would still be alive if he were white. Jordan Davis, 17, had just uh, celebrated Thanksgiving with his family in Jacksonville, Florida. He was returning from the mall on Friday, November 23, 2012, with his friends in an SUV listening to music. Jordan was in the back seat. They pulled into a gas station. A white man, Michael Dunn, pulled next to their SUV. Dunn complained to his girlfriend, I hate that thug music. He yelled at Jordan and his friends who were black to turn down their music. They argued. Dunn took out a handgun out of his glove compartment and fired at the car, hitting Jordan in the legs, lungs, and aorta. As the SUV backed up to escape the barrage, Dunn opened his own car door and continued firing, later testifying that he feared for his safety. Jordan Davis died from the gunshots. After shooting at the boys, Dunn drove away. He did not call the police or 911. Initially, the jury could not reach a verdict about whether to convict Dunn. His defense lawyer cited Florida's stand-your-ground law. A second trial at the end of 2014 resulted in Dunn's conviction for first-degree murder of Jordan Davis. Great. The senseless death of Jordan fueled his mother, Lucy McBath, to intensify her activism. Lucy's father was the Illinois branch president of the NAACP for over 20 years and served on its national board. As a child, Lucy traveled with her family to attend marches and rallies supporting the civil rights movement. After her son's death, Lucy began working closely with gun violence prevention groups, including Every Town for Gun Safety and MAMS and Moms Demand Action for Gun Sense in America. She testified across the country on, the, on behalf of the um, issue. She campaigned for Hillary Clinton for president as one of the mothers of the movement, a group of women whose African-American children have been killed by the police or by gun violence. After the Parkland shooting in 2018, Lucy McBath challenged Karen Handel, the incumbent Republican in the U.S. House of Representatives representing Georgia's sixth congressional district. Although the sixth has historically tilted Republican, Lucy McBath won the seat in an upset as part of the blue wave in November. She made gun control a central issue in her campaign. The first bill that freshman Representative McBath signed onto was H.R. 8, the first gun control bill passed by the House of Representatives in 20 years. You know, I've heard Lucy McBath speak, and she's pretty inspiring. Um, it's just an example of how we can turn heartache into activism and action. As a testament to mothers who've lost their children, let's remember them and honor them for Mother's Day. I'd like to share some excerpts of statements shared in, the, in Essence magazine by mothers who've lost children to guns. Cleo Pendleton lost her daughter Hadia four years ago. On Mother's Day, I think about how much I miss Hadia. I think about how happy I used to be and how far I had dreamed into my daughter's future before she was murdered on January 29, 2013. She had her basic human right to life snatched from her 
because of someone else's lack of direction and self-worth. Deborah Nelson lost her daughter, Monique, December 14, 2010. On Mother's Day, my mind sadly drifts to my baby daughter, Monique, who paid the ultimate sacrifice at the young age of 30 to save her two-year-old son's life. Instinctively, she covered her son's body with her own, saving his life but losing hers. I want the world to know that Monique Roxanne Nelson lived, was a valued family member, and a friend with extraordinary love in her heart and soul, especially for her son, Jaden. Stephanie Stone lost her son, Paul. She said, the first thing I think about on Mother's Day is the fact that my son, Paul, will not be the first person to wish me a happy Mother's Day, and I won't receive a makeshift card made from construction paper. My Paul was a phenomenal kid. He had a giving spirit. He was smart, he was funny, he was athletic, and he was a leader. We as Americans can, say, can take several steps to reduce gun violence in an effort to save lives. We need a background check on every gun sale. We need to close loopholes that allow dangerous people to buy guns online and at gun shows and pawn shops. There are numerous ways we can prevent gun violence, but we must work together. So true, Stephanie, so true. The pain of losing a child never goes away, and we will honor them with action. We at Gays Against Guns are sorry for your losses and are with you in this fight to prevent other moms from going through this senseless suffering. Yeah, it's, it's, uh... it's so painful to read those memorials on Mother's Day. What could be more painful than that? It is, and I, and I think sometimes the only thing that does make you feel, you know, that just from you know, lying down and crying is to, is to, is to do some work, um, to, you know, I don't know, that's, I find that, um, that comforting. So listeners, if you feel like, um, you'd like to fight against hopelessness, helplessness, come join us at a meeting here in New York, Gays Against Guns meets every other Thursday at seven in Manhattan at the LGBT center on 13th street at seventh Avenue. Our next meeting is May 23rd, where we will be planning all kinds of great actions. Pride is coming up and uh, protests. So please join us. Um, It's a very fun, very welcoming group, and we'd love to see you at any and all gag events. Speaking of gag meetings and what we plan at them, (laughs) uh, gag has the following actions coming up. GAG will be bringing our human beings, and for those of you who don't know, these are folks all dressed in white and veiled. They they are a silent protest. They hold a placard honoring someone killed in gun violence. We have a monthly human being protest um, every month. This year, this month, May, um, the monthly protest will be at the AIDS Walk. We're meeting very early in the morning. Please visit our website for more information uh, and on Facebook to get involved. Pride Month is coming, and GAG will be at most Pride events around New York City. You know, we have five boroughs, therefore we have five borough Pride events, you know, uh, because we can't all just have one. We have to have one for each borough, and we will be at all of them. Uh, Please look for our volunteers and sign up to work with us. There are two Pride marches this year. The first is run by Reclaim Pride and will begin around 10 a.m. starting near the Stonewall Inn. It will run up 6th Avenue for a rally in Central Park. The second is the annual Heritage of Pride Parade. 
This one kicks off in Midtown at noon. GAG will participate in both. Please visit uh, Facebook and website for details. GAG is having a fundraiser July 25th, Thursday night from 7 to 9.30 at the Slipper Room, Burlesque Theater and Lounge in the East Village. On top of some tantalizing burlesque performers of all genders, we've booked amazing musical and comedy acts. We will be celebrating the efforts of GAG and bashing the NRA all night long. Sounds like fun. Yeah. Tickets go on sale at the end of this week. 40 online, 50 at the door. Find us online. To find out more about working with us, please go to gaysagainstguns.net or follow us on Gays Against Guns New York on Facebook and Instagram at GagNoGuns on Twitter. Also, be sure to check out our website to learn more about our gag chapters located nationwide in L.A., D.C., Chicago, San Francisco, Orlando. Uh, another, way, another great way to get involved is to become a BAI buddy. A BAI buddy is someone who keeps our unique volunteer-run radio show going by signing up to give a small donation every month. Contributing allows you to be part of the BA of the WBAI tradition of free media beholden unbeholden to corporate sponsors. We like that. Mm-hmm. It's the New York home of Democracy Now! and Yay. other great political content like this show. Just go to WBAI.org or call 516-620-620. 3602-516-620-3602 and become a BAI buddy in the name of Radio Gag. And get cool buttons. And get We're- cool buttons. Yeah. <laughs> and, re- and really, folks, it's just a modest monthly com- uh, contribution. It could really help. Lots of people are doing a small amount and it could add up to s- some significant change. So thank you. Um, okay, so, uh, boy, we're almost out of time. We but are. We, that was quick, Virginia. That was quick. So, But we can still squeeze in uh, one of the shorter n- m- numbers of our uh, sister singing quartet, Sing Out Louise, the only one about baseball. Take me out at the ball game. Shoot me down at the bar. Come to the movies and watch us fall. Come to church, come to school, kill us all, go on block, block, block any gun laws. Sell your soul, have no shame. Yes, it's one, two, three strikes, we lose at the old gun game.